everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. Hey, good morning, everybody. I want to start by showing you a picture. This is me and my two little brothers. So I'm not a small guy, and this picture is actually a little deceiving because I was smart enough to take a step forward. And you know what happens uh, if you take a picture? The, the closer you are to the camera, the bigger you are. So I'm about 6'4", 190. Uh, my youngest brother is 6'5", 200. And the middle brother, Isaac, is... 66240, 235, something like that. So these are big guys. Uh, but we weren't always this big, as you can see. We were once very small. And when we were small, uh, we would wrestle my dad. And my dad was not a small guy. Uh, he owned a tree service and was a farmer. You can see a picture of him here. But we would wrestle, and uh, what he would do is he would lay on his back. And we would, we would attack him, and he would let us pin him to the ground, right? Three little toddlers, you know, three, six, and nine. I guess that's not all toddlers, but, you know, we're two and a half years apart. Uh, would wrestle with my dad, and he, he certainly had the physical strength to take us down, but he chose not to. He let us win. So... We've been doing this series today, uh, or this month, called Heroes. We've been looking at stories from the Bible, specifically the book of Genesis, where uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and some of their wives play this really crucial role, not just for Christians, but for the trajectory of world history, Western civilization in particular. And we look at these stories in part because the stories that last, the truly good stories, uh, are insights into our own soul, but also shapers of our identity. So who we are, and this is true, whatever stories you're choosing to absorb into your life, choosing to listen to, the stories that you interact with are the stories who shape who you are. And I want to quickly kind of go through Uh, where we've been. So starting with Abraham, Uh, Abraham is obedient to God's voice, willing to take risks, and blessed to be a blessing. Remember this? He's also flawed. He makes mistakes. There are times when he doesn't trust God. He lies about the identity of his wife. He says, oh, this, this is my sister, and he does that out of fear or out of cowardice. Sarah, his wife, is ambitious, assertive, respectful of her husband, and flawed. Their son, Isaac. Uh, The remarkable thing about Isaac is that he doesn't do anything particularly remarkable. He's one of the most famous people in the Bible, but he's known mostly for digging wells. He's a husband, a father, a well digger, and he too is flawed. He commits some of the same mistakes as his father. He shows favoritism uh, to one of his two twin boys. Uh, And today we're going to be looking at one of those two twins named Jacob. Now, There's been a theme here. You can kind of guess how this goes. But Jacob is actually the most flawed of the bunch. If you read Jacob's story with fresh eyes and don't kind of jump in with the assumption like, oh, this is one of the the good guys of the Bible, you see that he is manipulative, deceitful, in constant conflict. His whole life 
is defined by conflict. He's always fighting somebody or something. And yet, through all of his flaws, he is blessed by God. So if there is a parallel theme or parallel themes in Jacob's life, it is that he is flawed and he is blessed. And if you are a religious person, this is confounding. This does not jive with how most people think of God because we think, some of us, uh, that God likes us or favors us or blesses us based on our good behavior, right? Or rejects us or turns us away because of our bad behavior. But what we see in these stories, uh, the people that we would call heroes of the Bible, is he doesn't actually choose people because they're so good. He chooses them because he is so good and he extends grace to them. In other words, he gives them what they do not deserve. He gives them their blessing. And so if you're a religious person, this is confounding because often religious people are trying to create a hierarchy, if you will, of the good things to do and the bad things to do. And of course, we create that hierarchy based on our behaviors. So our behaviors uh, are, are the good behaviors and the, the, people that, the things other people do, you know, those are the bad ones. So we kind of create an order to things. Uh, and God, God turns that on its head. God turns that ladder of behavior on its head and says, you know, it's actually, it's about my ability to love you, not about your ability to love me, not about your ability to do right things. But this is also... I guess surprising, if not confounding, to people who maybe weren't raised in the church. Maybe that's you. Uh, because you have this idea that, you know, God probably wouldn't accept me based on the things that I've done. You know, I've made these really deep and terrible mistakes. I've screwed up bad. And the message to you is, like, God wants to accept you. He wants to engage with you. And it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or who you are. Like the blessing that God wants to extend you is, is there for the receiving, if you will. So that's kind of the, the first thing to notice about Jacob's life, about the heroes of the Bible who, who don't necessarily do anything heroic or particularly courageous. It's all about actually God's, uh, God's presence in their life and God's leading in their life. But, but let's do a little kind of flyover of Jacob's life before we look at the particular story that we'll read today. So Jacob, as we already mentioned, has a father named Isaac, his grandfather Abraham. Jacob is a twin of uh, his older brother by just a couple of seconds, Esau. I actually have a picture of Jacob and Esau. Can we put that up? Yeah, this is really, this is from 4,000 years ago. Uh, some of you recognize these guys. This is Thor from the Marvel Universe and his brother Loki. Loki. Very good. So this is, uh, on, the, on the surface level, this, this is like, oh yeah, this actually makes sense. But I want you to kind of understand the dynamic between Jacob and Esau, or probably like the dynamic between Thor and Loki. Thor is like the he-man, right? He, he has the hammer, he has the muscles, he goes out and fights the monsters. Just as Esau, the older brother, Jacob's older brother, is the he-man, right? He goes out and he hunts, and he and he, he brings back what he's killed, and they, you know, he eats it, and he's, he's hairy. You know, he's like, he's just pulsing testosterone, okay? That's, that's Esau, so you have a sense for who Esau is. Jacob is the younger brother, and he's, he's a little quieter. Uh, he's more cerebral, if you will. Uh, he, he is in constant conflict with his brother, but if you know Loki's superpower, you know it, one of the things he can do? He can change his skin, right? He can appear to be somebody that he's not. Uncanny parallel, right? Jacob 
in one of uh, his most manipulative or deceitful acts in his life, uh, pretends to be Esau. He puts goat skin on his arms and goes into Isaac's tent when Isaac is preparing to bless Esau. He pretends to be Esau, so Jacob receives the blessing that was meant for Esau. These guys are in constant conflict. So, Jacob, the deceiver. In fact, his name sounds like, uh, in the original language, the word deceit. He deceives his brother Esau. Uh, He makes his brother so mad that his brother threatens to kill him. His brother Esau basically says, once daddy Isaac dies, as soon as I'm done grieving the death of our father, and he's getting close, he's old, he's blind, he's not doing so well, I'm going to kill you, Jacob. So Jacob, while he just received the blessing and earlier had cheated Esau out of the birthright or out of the inheritance that Isaac was ready to give Esau, his firstborn, uh, ends up running for his life, right? So the things, the things that he had cheated Esau out of, he's not going to receive anyway uh, because, because, I mean, you can't, to receive the inheritance, you have to be around. And now he's on the run. It's interesting, as he flees his home, there's an interesting scene where the sun sets, and he has a vision of God. Uh, and that sun setting is interesting to note because it, it creates like a cue for like, there's something going on in Jacob's life that, that has died here, right? He's left home. He's lost some of his most important connections. And, and you'd think like maybe Jacob would learn from this like constant conflict that he's had with, with his brother. But no, he goes uh, to live with his uncle, whose name is Laban. Some of you know the story. Uh, he works for Laban. And, and again, there's, there's this, this conflict that kind of goes back between him and his uncle. And there's, there's a, a series of stories where Jacob decides he wants to marry Rachel, Laban's younger daughter. And, and it's kind of an ironic twist that earlier, right, Jacob pretends to be Esau. And now, on his wedding night, Rachel's older sister, Leah pretends to be Rachel. So in a sense, he gets, he gets what's coming to him. Uh, and he ends up marrying both of them, which we wouldn't do today, but that was not an uncommon practice back in those days. Now, several years passed, 14 years at least, maybe closer to 20, he ends up heading back home. He knows that his brother is there. Uh, he's afraid that his brother now, 20 years later, at least 14 years later, is still upset with him to the point of, you know, wanting to murder him. And this is where our story picks up. Uh, Jacob has already sent out gifts to his brother to try to, like, calm him down, to appease him. But Jacob sees his brother coming in the distance, and he expects what's going to happen the next morning is the climax of his entire life, the conflict the, the, the person that he's been wrestling with, so to speak, it, that's coming tomorrow. But in actuality, the, the high point or the, the, the climax of his life, life is happening this night when in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crosses the Jabbok River with them. And after taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob alone in the camp. So he's putting himself between Esau 
and behind him, across the river, uh, his wives and his sons. And he, he wants to be alone, uh, it seems, in part because he wants to pray. But what happens? Jacob is alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And we find out later, we find out soon, or Jacob realizes after the, the encounter that this man is actually God who has come and appeared to him like in the, in the form of a man. In fact, if you have an NLT Bible, uh, the, the caption of this whole story is called Jacob wrestles with God. But he doesn't know that it's God right away. And he begins to wrestle with him. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. And again, in the original language, the Hebrew here, this, this word for touch is simply a tap. So the gentlest tap from this man uh, you know, causes a Kevin Durant type of injury uh, only instead of in his calf and his hip. I know that that was probably wasted on most of you, sorry. Kevin Durant's a basketball player who just had a bad injury. Uh, those guys, this family here knows all about that. Sorry, guys. Uh, some Warriors fans in the house. Um, he touches his hip and it's wrenched out of his sock. He taps the hip and Jacob uh, feels this, this deep searing pain. And the man says, right, not Jacob, the man, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob. And he says, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. For now on, from now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. And why do you want to know my name? The man replied, and then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face. Right? He comes to this realization that he has seen God. The power that came out of that simple touch made it obvious. And he said, yet my life was spared. Now the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. I want to tell you a little bit about lobsters. Uh, lobsters, like most every animal, uh, are very territorial. Okay, so lobsters, uh, in, in the lobster kingdom, there's, there's one big lobster who's the strongest, and this is, this is the alpha lobster, right? And the thing about the lobster kingdom is that they, they, for the most part, keep their distance. But if you're the biggest lobster, you get the best territory, and you get all the girls. It's not like, it's, you know, they're not monogamous in the lobster kingdom. They're, you know, the, the top lobster gets all the girls. Um, and what, what happens is there's this, what we call a dominance hierarchy, where there's, clear, there's a top lobster, but then there are, like, down the ladder, these other lobsters. And every once in a while, a lobster from down below the ladder will challenge the lobster up above. You know what I'm talking about? Um, and, and again, if, if you can get it to the top of that ladder, that's, that's good, good for you because you get the best hunting ground and, and all the girls. Uh, but, but, you know, they don't really typically fight to the death because a, a wounded lobster is as good as a dead lobster. So even if you're at the top, you're wounded, uh, and then you'll, you know, you'll end up being 
lobster food for the next lobster or the next fish that swims along. I don't know really what eats lobsters, probably not fish, but anyway, back to the point. It's really interesting that if a lobster who's above, say, lobster, lobster A is challenged by lobster B, if lobster B ends up defeating lobster A, what happens is lobster B gets into this he-man lobster position. He, he brings up his pinchers and goes, yeah, right? Like, I am dominant. I am now king lobster. And what happens to lobster, well, the, the lobster that was lobster A, is they have these really small primitive brains. And what happens is the brain actually dies. There's a chemical that's released in the lobster brain because the lobster brain had been wired to think, I am king lobster. But now that king lobster is no longer king lobster, there's a chemical that's released that kills the brain and the brain regrows to be a, a, like, a, a submissive lobster. So king lobster is up, yeah. The old lobster, his brain dies and he, gets, he, he learns to be very small, right? He's failed and he kind of like creeps away and tries to keep his distance and doesn't, doesn't want to mess with any lobsters anymore. And you think, oh, we're talking about lobsters. And of course, human brains are more complicated than lobster brains, but actually we're talking about people, right? I mean, you see this in, in other animals too, like wolves and cats. Uh, we have two cats and there's a clear like alpha cat and there's a clear, you know, omega cat. It's like a binary system. There's just two of them. And you might think, oh, the, the cat that's on top is the dominant cat, but that's not true. That's Rookie on top. Mika's the dominant cat. M Mika has the best spot on the, on the hierarchy and, and Rookie gets picked on a lot because Rookie, the top cat, Rookie needs to be reminded by Mika that Mika's queen and Rookie is not queen. And so Rookie is not that smart, but smart enough to know that she needs to keep the higher ground. Because <laughs> if, uh, if they're on a level playing ground, uh, Rookie ends up, you know, getting pinned and, and hurt. Um, and, and like humans in some ways are the same. Right? You know how this works. Uh, this is really weird. It, it like first really comes up in middle school, I think. And this maybe is a strange phenomenon. I don't know if any of you experienced middle school the way I did. And maybe it was like fifth grade when this started happening. The boys started arm wrestling. And it was like, it was a display of, of dominance. And uh, I, was, I was near the top of this particular dominance hierarchy. Okay, I was, I was a big kid. I was probably the tallest. I was certainly the tallest boy uh, and one of the thickest. And because I was tall, I, I had like some good leverage over everybody that was shorter, if you can imagine. Uh, but, but there was one kid who could beat me. But, but it's interesting that I was near the top of that particular, you know, brutal strength kind of dominance hierarchy, but I was, I was second to top, I would say. But in the, the other, the real dominance hierarchy, I was probably second from the bottom, or, or certainly near the bottom, because in my school, at least, the, the real hierarchy was not how strong you were, but it had something to do with how much money your parents had. Okay, so the person at the very top, uh, his dad was an optometrist, and uh, he had like the nicest clothes and the nicest house and everything else. And then uh, also how good you were at basketball. I went to a basketball school and he was the one who was best at basketball. Again, probably not unrelated to the money that he had because you know he went to the camps and had the coolest shoes and all of that. Um, I'm telling you this, I mean, maybe it's becoming obvious that without love, the, the humans as well as the animals, try to put themselves on this ladder. And it becomes a lifetime struggle 
of establishing yourself as high on the ladder as possible. And again, without love, without, I would say, a transformative uh, touch from God that can be painful, by the way, without a transformative touch from God, you will spend your life trying to figure out who's above you and who's below you, and you'll do your best to keep those below you, below you, and try to climb up over those who stand above you. Is this making sense? Is this how you've experienced the world? This is, this, and this is not just middle school, people. This is, uh, I mean, the adults do this. Kids do this. Everybody's doing it. In fact, it kind of it shows up here in, in Jacob's life. Like, he's born, actually, because of the cultural norms of the time. He's born second. He actually comes out of the womb grasping Esau's heel, his brother Esau's heel. He comes into the world second, and because he comes in second, he stands below Esau in the dominance hierarchy. To, to compound that reality, Esau is the he-man. Remember, he's the guy with muscles. He's the hunter. And so Jacob is spending his entire life trying to supplant Esau. Do you know that that's what Jacob's name means, like in the most literal sense? The name Jacob means supplanter. Not, not positive supplanter, not like, you know, democratic revolution supplanter, like he stages a coup twice against his brother. And, and he spends his entire life trying to get blessing from all the wrong places. He can't actually find blessing. He tries to, he, he tricks his father into giving him his blessing. You can see kind of the damage that, that happened from his relationship with his father. He tricks his brother into getting his brother to give him the inheritance, right? He's trying to find that, he's trying to get that one up. He's trying to jump over. He's trying to supplant uh, his brother in the ladder. And then he goes, he goes to his uncle Laban. Again, Laban is older than him, wealthier than him. And he's spending his whole life trying to get, you know, the things that he wants. You know, he sees this beautiful girl and he, he tries to, you know, he makes a deal with his uncle. He says, I'll work for you for seven years if you let me have Rachel, the pretty one. And, and that's actually, again, culturally, he's, he's, he's going against the norm. Like what's supposed to happen is the older sister's supposed to get married first. And, and I'm not, that's not right or wrong. That's just the culture as it was. So he's like, he's trying to, he's fighting the system. He's, he's, you know, he wrestles with God in this passage here, but he's actually been wrestling his whole life. And so like, I'm asking you in this room, where have you been wrestling and how long have you been wrestling and, and where are you looking for blessing? Are you still, are you wrestling with one of your parents? Are you wrestling with your boss, maybe a coworker? Maybe you're wrestling with, with the president. You know, he's, he's a man you probably have never met and probably never will meet, but you're wrestling with him. And, and you, can't, you can't actually, you can't win. Like, you can't actually find the blessing you're looking for wrestling with anybody or anything else other than God. You want to try, find, like, true blessing? What do I mean by blessing? Like, Security, not like financial security, but inner security, like inner peace, pure joy, unshakable confidence. Like you don't find that wrestling with the things out there. The real battle, the real wrestling match, I think, is internal, and it's between you and God. It's you and it's God. 
And I think that's, that's the window that this story gives into each of our souls, right? We're trying to climb the ladder. And we can't find what we want. And this, this manifests itself in, in a very particular way uh, in our culture. And there, there's raising awareness. There's a lot of awareness being raised about bullying. And we think a lot of times about bullying between kids, but in reality, right, there, there's bullying that happens among adults as well. And I have just kind of, a, this is from a government website. Um, there's, there's not just physical bullying, right? But there's, there's other types of bullying too. There's verbal bullying and there's social bullying and, you know, there's teasing and there's name calling and sexual harassment and taunting and threatening to cause harm and leaving someone out on purpose, smearing reputations, spreading rumors about someone, embarrassing someone in public. You know, these dynamics existed, I think, between Jacob and Esau. And, you know, these dynamics exist in our life. The, the sad reality is, you know, I was bullied in high school or in, in middle school and in high, in high school too. I was bu- bullied in both places, I would say. I was near the bottom. There was one kid in particular and he bullied me. But because I was bullied, right, by this guy who was just ahead of me on this, this dominance hierarchy, what, what did I do? I, I mean, maybe what some of you have done. I turned around and bullied someone below me on the dominance hierarchy. I remember his name. And, you know, the guy who bullied me, we weren't, we weren't friends really at all. This is middle school, okay? Uh, we didn't get along, period. The, the thing that really rips me apart is the kid that I bullied, I was friends with this kid. Like, I actually have, I have positive memories. And, and to think like, I mean, I haven't seen this guy in 20 years probably. To think like, I let the pain that I was experiencing get transmitted down to somebody else, like, rips me apart. Because I mean, pain that is not transformed gets transmitted. Hurt people hurt people. And, and the bullies win when that happens. The bullies win when you take what they're giving to you and you pass it on to someone else. And it not, it's not necessarily someone below you on the dominance hierarchy. Sorry, like, that's kind of, a, I'm going to get over, I'm not going to use that word anymore today. Um, Biologists really like that word, and I think it helps explain some of what happens between humans. But it's not just that you transfer it down the ladder. It's, it can happen where you transfer it to your spouse or to someone you love. Like, that's actually where it often comes out. Because pain that is not transformed gets transmitted. And the bullies win when you let their bullying change who you are. And you can, you can express that bullying to somebody else entirely, or you can repay bullying with bullying, right? And again, it's not always so black and white as, you know, Esau is the bully and Jacob is the bullied, right? Because what you find happening is, while Esau is the physically dominant person in this story, it's Jacob who uses his, you know, emotional and mental and intellectual power to push down Esau and steal his inheritance and his blessing. And so even, even if you're not as strong as person A, there's, a, there's still the possibility that you punish person A. And it might be emotionally punished. It might be intellectually punished. 
And, and this is the way of the world. And I'm, I'm not promoting this as like a good and healthy thing. I'm saying this is, this is messed up. This is not good. This is not how God intended it. God did not intend there to be like alpha males and alpha, alpha females and, and, and those people dominate or bully or, or express their, their power over those who stand below. Like this, this actually needs to be stood up against. And so, I mean, Martin Luther King is someone, I think, who, who becomes an example for us in our modern day. Um, he, right, he was known for nonviolent resistance. He was, he was willing to stand, but not react. And you have to believe that he was able to do that, to not repay violence, the incre- like, like blatant violence against the African-American people. And himself, he, he endured threats and accusations and even you know, prison time. And instead of reacting out of his pain, you have to believe that he had an inner peace that he received from one place, right? Reverend Martin Luther King had been wrestling with God, had been engaging with God over his identity. And so, instead of repaying bullying with bullying, as he says here, like darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And I'm reminded again, it's very interesting. I went to college and it's a weird thing to, to like realize somebody was trying to bully me in college, uh, but he was still acting like he was in high school. Is really strange. And yet he reminded me of the high school bully. Is very, like, similar size and shape and hair color even. I don't know what was going on. But, uh, you know, he, he was picking on me. And I went to my friend and said, I don't know what to do. Like, it's like high school over over again. And he said, why don't you repay him with kindness? Like, so he's teasing you. What if you, like, did your best to show love and care and concern to him? Just see what happens. And so I went up to him the next time I saw him. I said, hey, I don't remember his name. Jared, hey, Jared, how you been? How was your weekend? And you should have seen the look on his face. It was like I punched him. And I don't mean that, like, that, that's not a positive example, but he was like, he was so put off uh, balance. Uh, and, like, I, we didn't become friends, but I was friendly to him. And he, he never bothered me again. And that doesn't work for everybody. Like, to, to do... Jesus' way when it comes to bullies is very difficult and there are no guarantees that the bullying will stop. Like to actually turn the other cheek, to stand and turn the other cheek. To to stand up and repay evil with good and not to repay insult with insult or to repay bullying with bullying, but to like to show love and grace and kindness to the people who have mistreated you. Like that takes guts. And that takes courage. And one of the interesting things here is when Jacob wrestles with God, uh, God says, I'm actually going to give you a new identity. You remember that part? He says, I'm giving you a new name. Instead of being the usurper, I call you now the man who wrestles with God, Israel. And if you know your Bible, you know that Israel is actually the name that God's people took on for themselves. So it's called not the nation of Abraham, right? But the nation of Israel. And so they are known throughout history, every time you say the name, as those people who wrestle with God. That is, that is profound. Instead of trying to wrestle with the powers that are out there, 
They're choosing to engage with God in their pain and in their suffering. And out of that pain and suffering, they, they, they you know, establish relationship with him over the ages. And sometimes, or I should say when, they stop engaging with God and start rela- fighting with the things out there. That's when, that's when the real trouble comes for the nation of, again, Israel. To be defined as the people who are willing to take their pain and their anger and their frustration and their entire being and wrestle with God over it instead of wrestling with other people. That is what defines this group of people. And just to jump back in here, one more thing. Um, There's a a part of the story that as I read it, you might have thought, huh, I don't understand it. In verse 25, the Bible says, when the man, when God saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip. What does that mean? How can that be? How can a man who is limited and finite wrestle with God and God says, I'm not going to win. Jacob is going to overcome me. Well, when I was little with my two brothers, my dad would lay on his back and we would wrestle. He could have killed us. He was 200 pounds and strong. But because he loved us, he made himself weak so that we could overpower him. He let us win. Don't forget, like God God has the power here. He tapped Jacob's hip and zap. It's not that God couldn't have killed Jacob on the spot. It's that he made himself weak. Because he wanted something else for Jacob. He wanted to bless Jacob. He wanted Jacob to know that he loved him and would protect him. And from Jacob would come kings of Israel. And not just kings of Israel, the king would come from Jacob. The one that we know as Jesus. And this king deals with power the same way that God shows us to deal with power. That is absolutely different than the way that the world deals with power, right? Because the world is looking to make itself stronger. And Jesus comes, the king, with all the power, and he makes himself weak. And he lets people nail him to a cross so that just as when my dad, like he took his weight out of the fight, so that when he dies on that cross, he takes the full weight of sin and death on his shoulders, through his hands, and he makes himself weak for each of us. And that is love. And that is turning power on its head. He repays our evil with good. He repays our insult with blessing. And so now, as we transition, I wonder what it would be like to wrestle with God just a moment, to engage with him about some of the pain that we've experienced or some of the pain that we've caused. So if, if I could just put up these, uh, these again, this could be helpful. And thinking about, have you been bullied? Maybe, maybe it was 25 years ago. Maybe it was 50 years ago. Maybe it was last week. 
Not just beat up, like punched, like pinned, like wrestled, but maybe one of these things happened to you. Somebody in power used their power to make you feel shame or to make you feel embarrassed. But conversely, maybe, maybe you are the bully. And the confounding thing, the surprising thing, the good news in this is that God wants to engage you whether you were bullied or whether you were the bully. Odds are that both are true. And so if you would just pray with me a moment, even perhaps open your hands just to be receptive and say, God, bring to mind now the names of people who have bullied me. And help me to forgive. Transform this pain so that it is not transmitted. And if you kind of just imagine each person standing before you and in your heart, like offering them forgiveness. That's the first step. Maybe there's a second step. And God, we ask that you would lead us into what that second step might be. How to, how to show love or kindness to these people who have shown us not love and not kindness, who have been unkind, maybe hateful. But God, now we also ask that if we have been bullies, not just 20 years ago, not just 40 years ago, but if we have been bullies this week, this month, this year, reveal that to us as well. And all we can say is, forgive us. Know that God wants to forgive you. Jacob, the the usurper, the liar, the manipulator, the cheater, the stealer, the bully. Jacob, the bully, was forgiven by God. And God blessed him. And maybe there's, a, maybe there's a second step with this as well. So God revealed to us what maybe the second step is for these people that we've bullied. How would, how would you engage with them? How do you feel about them? How do you love them? Answer those questions for us. Holy Spirit, come. God, send your spirit and be with us now. Some of us need comfort. Some of us need courage. We all need healing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.